Welcome back to the show. This is Everything's Interesting with Jesse Mogul. Thank you for stopping by. Today I am joined by none other than Alyssa Parker. She is an IFBB pro figure competitor, a certified nutritionist, a coach, a spin instructor, author, wife, mother of two. She has been competing for over 10 years as a pro figure competitor and she has just released a book called Fit Starts in the Kitchen where she is going to show everyone how they can take what they're doing in the gym and really build upon that whenever they get there for dinner time. It's absolutely fantastic what she's going to be able to show you guys. You're going to be able to stop calling things a diet and start using the word nutrition strategy. She's absolutely a fantastic conversationalist. So excited to have her on board. Five, four, three, two, one. It's showtime. Welcome to the show, Alyssa. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled. We've had so many conversations up to this point. I really feel like I've had a chance to get to know you. There's so much I want to talk about today. Um, first and foremost, you wrote a book. If you're very excited about it, you've taken so many years that you have in the in the, the figure building competition. Am I saying that right when I say that? How would somebody talk about your IFBB pro figure comp competitor career? How would, how would somebody reference that? Yeah, it's kind of tricky. I've always kind of just referred to it as a fitness competition. I've competed in both the figure division and the bikini division, and most of my clients fall into one of those two categories. I do work with some uh, men's physique and bodybuilding competitors, but they're basically all – uh, you know, within the same realm of bodybuilding, but then different sizes of, uh, you know, muscle size for the different divisions. So it just depends on which category you fall into. And back when I started, figure was the only category for women besides bodybuilding. So didn't have much of a choice. And then they started out uh, adding bikini division, which is a little more attainable. And so I switched over to that and then back to figure. And now that's what I coach in both of those uh, fields. When someone, well, I remember when I first met you, clearly you're, you're in amazing shape. And when you were talking about your book, Fit Starts in the Kitchen, one of the things I thought was, how could this relate to someone, you know, middle America, normal nine-to-five job life? Because they're going to see your body, they're going to know your history, and they're going to think, this book isn't meant for me. This book is meant for someone who does this kind of stuff professionally. But I've read through your material. It's certainly, it, it goes, it, it spans everyone. So how do you talk to people? How do you get them to realize that just because of your background and, and who you coach, that Fit Starts in the Kitchen, your, your recently released book, is actually a great reading material for everyone trying to be healthy? Yeah, basically, I mean, I wrote the book because, you know, anytime I would go anywhere, people were always asking me, what do you eat? How do you do this? How do I change this? Or what can I do? And so I just, you know, I was repeating myself so many times that I just started putting it on paper. And it started, the book completely started out just as a cookbook because everybody was like, what do you eat? So I started writing down all the recipes and then I started thinking, well, you know, responsibly I need to start explaining why I would do certain things and teach people. So it kind of just fell together. Um, and it's very much for the everyday person. It's not geared towards competitors at all. Um, it's 
you know, and I think coming out of a competition, a lot of people have struggles because you've been focused on this one goal for so long and it's all superficial. So a lot of uh, mental and uh, emotional kind of disordered behaviors start to come about after competing. So it's a good, good tool for people coming out of that, but it's also good for just the everyday person. And I try to really explain things and relate to people from my own personal experiences from the time I was young to now, um, to how far I've come, because I've struggled with eating disorder in my life um, as a you know, young adult, and then even body image from the time I was like three years old, I talk about it in the book, but I remember being in preschool and thinking I was like this big fat kid, and I was super tiny, so it's just weird how your brain can actually, you know, and, there, and I was about three years old, so there's no reason why I should have felt yeah. that way, it's strange. So, and I think I've always sort of struggled with it. So I just, I talk about things like that because I know that that's sort of normal, especially with the media and everything we have access to now. It's so much worse than it used to be. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about body dysmorphia because it's something I've struggled with for years. and It's something that I think society sort of expects women to have to deal with because of the way cover models on the magazines at the grocery store are displayed and things of that nature. But have you found that that can span? I mean, you've got a professional bodybuilding career in your past. I'm sure you've seen men suffer with this as well. How do you think the whole body dysmorphia, um, I don't think movement is the right word for it, just how do you think body dysmorphia just affects society in general to both men and women? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, both men and women that suffer from this. And I think social media has made it so much worse because we're dealing with, you know, looking at these Instagram photos that people took you know, 25 pictures to get the, just the right one, and then they photoshopped it to make their waist smaller or their butt bigger or whatever they're trying to go for. Now, you know, the looks are so different nowadays. But, um, you know, they did do, there were some studies. There was a, uh, I can't remember the name of the documentary, but there was a documentary that I saw, um, and they were looking at studies with men and women with regard to social media and the impact that it has on body image. And they showed that they, they one of the studies they did was, um, Men and women both wore bathing suits, and then they had to take a test. And actually, women performed worse. Men were about the same. So it does seem like men have a little bit less of it. But I think definitely in the fitness community, I think those people still do kind of suffer from it because you're still looking at your body, and it's something that's really important to you. And, I mean, I think the biggest thing is kind of like get off of social media for a while because I do notice even myself, you know, looking at pictures, and I'm like, gosh, you know, you can get down on yourself. But even the fitness models and the magazines, you know, when they're training for that, they train for that photo shoot, and they look like that for a small portion of the year. You know, most of the time you'll see these same people in the magazines, and they don't look like that all the time. So you have to kind of remember that the fitness models in the magazines don't always look like they look in the pictures, and that they're not always healthy. You know, it's more about health, and I think if you can take the focus from a, a superficial one to something that's more about health and how you feel and being happy and stuff, it really makes such a huge difference. You brought, a, brought up a couple really great points there, so I want to I want to hit on a few of them before we move on. One was the social media aspect. I noticed yeah. my body image issues started to really increase when I became really um, fervent being on Instagram a lot. And of course, like any other guy, you know, I'm liking the models and I'm liking the celebrities and I live in Los Angeles. So I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses and always paying attention to them. 
And I noticed flipping through my Instagram, it was just a lot of really good looking people all the time. And I, I noticed it was changing my psyche. It was, it was, there was something about it that was, I could just tell I'd get on there and I wouldn't walk away with a happy feeling. Like I don't have a, didn't have a whole Instagram feed of beautiful pictures of the earth and really cute animals. It was just nothing but beautiful people. And I went and wiped all of them out and yeah. noticed immediately how much better I felt getting on Instagram and, and how much better I felt just being on social media in general by not constantly having these images thrown at me of the ideal woman or the ideal man's physique. Is this something that you've seen from other people and your clients and you've been able to sort of show them and express to them? Definitely. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, stop looking at that stuff because it does, it makes you feel down. And I've experienced it too, so that's why I'm, I'm coming from experience. You know, I even in the fitness industry and, you know, being somebody that people would look at as being very fit, I still feel those negative feelings too. So I have to kind of get off and step back and, and you know, and, and because I know a lot of these people personally that I see, a lot of them are my friends, and I know that that's not the truth. So, but most people don't have that actual relationship with the people that they're watching on Instagram or whatever it is. So they don't know. They think it's reality, but it's not. So I think it's important to to know that. And, you know, and it's kind of hard to avoid social media altogether because people use it for business and you need to be on there and marketing yourself and that's the way things are run now. But, you know, step back, maybe don't look at the images like you did, stop following the ones that are making you have that feeling and, and just be aware, you know, do and aware in all things, you know, with your food, with your, what you're viewing on social media. It's very important not just to go through life and just, go with the motions, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it seems like such a simple thing to think about and then go activate and do, but yet so difficult for some people to just pull themselves out of that and say, I'm not going to be looking at that anymore. I, I see a lot of people, they want to follow the Kim Kardashians. They want to follow this, the, the supermodels, and I'm like, how is this helping you? How is this something right. that you need in your life? Yeah, and get off. You know, I see so many people just, staring at their phones all the time you know put your phone away or whatever device you have like get off of the computer get off of the social media get off of the phone put it away so you can't even touch it because I know people just become it becomes a habit like anytime you're sitting if you're idle at all you've got your phone in your hand so you know I try to like really just not even have my phone on me for periods of the day so I can just really focus on what's actually going on instead I love of just that you just, digital Sorry. I love, no, no, please, because you just sparked something in me. I had, you know, and I was just wanted to be a good follow up. But I noticed yesterday I was hanging out with a friend, and I'm very mindful of not being on my phone whenever I'm with people in person. And yeah. we, she had gotten a phone call, and there was no reason for me to get on my phone. And she was only going to be on the phone for less than a minute. But the moment she picked up her phone, the urge for me to pick up mine was there too. And it's like it was just ingrained in your head so it takes some time to stop that but i feel like if people are mindful of it it's going to certainly make their lives a lot better to just not always feel like you have to be doing something with your hands and your eyes yeah no and it's like even my kids because i had to take away all of the devices in our house because they were so everything had to be instant gratification they couldn't just sit for like a minute and, you know, like we're in the car, and it was one minute in the car, and they're like, I'm bored. And I'm like, you can look out the window. That's what I had to do. So, yeah. you know, you can't – we have this instant access all the time now. So it's 
for me, I really like to just put my phone away and not have it on me for a while so I can just do other things, talk to people, focus on what's actually happening. Yeah, I think it's very important. It's, 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 I think at some point the culture is going to have a backlash on people constantly staring at their phones. I don't think we're there yet, but I certainly think that it's going to get to a point where it's going to be like restaurants are going to start having no phone zones or something to that effect because it's yeah. it's, it's, it's an issue. And look, we've never, as a human race, I don't think we've ever faced anything as difficult to break as our addiction to a cell phone. I think it's going to end up being something that society looks back on as being very detrimental to just social norms in general. So it's it's good that we're touching on it now because I feel like it really needs to be a part of the conversation for everyone. They need to realize that it's not great to have instant gratification. You don't always need to know what's going on with the Kardashians. You don't need to be keeping right. up with them. You need to be living your own life. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about something you mentioned a second ago, too, about other fitness competitors you've dealt with, about how they look great on the outside, but they're not so healthy on the inside. And that's where a lot of your book, The Fit Starts in the Kitchen, really gives a, a good focus on proper nutrition strategy. You even mentioned that you don't like the word diet. Um, so let's touch on that for a little bit about the unhealthiness on the inside versus, you know, the perceived perfection on the outside and how the word diet, um, that word being used for people's nutrition strategy is actually detrimental to them. Right. So with competitors, but even with regular people, you know, when, when you say the word diet, it gives the connotation that this is something that's temporary and you're going to do this for a period of time and then you're going to stop. And I know we talked about that before, and that's like how I feel about it, and I know you feel the same way. You need to find something that will be sustainable for your entire life, and it doesn't become difficult, something that's easy. You know, you want to make this as easy as possible so that you can maintain it forever. And I know that a lot of the competitors, at least in fitness models and things like that, you know, they go on these, they'll cut, they'll do this big hardcore diet and tons of cardio, so they're basically eating way less than what they are, um, you know, they'll expend a ton of calories, doing a ton of workouts, eat not enough to sustain themselves. So it's almost like a form of anorexia. You're really starving yourself. And then you go, you do your competition, that's over, and then people go out and start binging or they have a cheat meal every week and they have, it becomes this major binge. So you're developing, starting to develop these habits that are disordered eating patterns. So I've met so many competitors that have struggled with this. I mean, we all would sit around and talk about all the junk we used to eat when we'd get a cheat meal or when we'd be off the show. And you, you, I, I went on vacation one year and I gained 20 pounds in one week because I had competed. And then we went on, met, I met my family in Mexico. We went on vacation. I literally gained 20 pounds in one week. That's how much I ate. So, I mean, that whole, A, it's not good for your body to be doing that. And B, my mental state was so messed up that I couldn't even control the amount of food I was taking in. I just, I felt like I was never going to see the food ever again, and I had to eat everything I could possibly fit in my mouth at any given point. So <laughs> it was it was ridiculous, and people used to be like, I can't believe how much she's eating. So, you know, and, and I'm not the only one that suffered like that. So, you know, I've... I followed a flexible eating approach. So basically nothing is off limits. I can have whatever I want. Um, it just has to fit within certain parameters. And I teach people how to do that in the book, basically figuring out how much protein, carbs, and fats, and fiber that you need for your body for your goal. Um, 
And so that way, and all the recipes in the book have the macronutrients calculated, so it's easy. If you just want to cook something, you can track it and fit it in using an app like um, MyFitnessPal or MyMacrosPlus, which is the one I use and, and I like. Um, and then start eating that way for a little while, and you'll start to learn what's in your food. You know, people, a lot of people just don't even know, you know, the basic macronutrients, protein, carbs, fats, and then fiber, they don't know what is in, like, you know, chicken or broccoli or, um, you know, oatmeal or whatever. They don't know the, the macronutrients. But when you track for a little while, you learn. So, like, I know how much stuff is in, in each thing I'm eating, so I can estimate. So after you track for a little bit, you transition to estimating your food, and you don't have to keep tracking. And I also, you know, I'll weigh in frequently a few times a week and just to keep tabs on it. So then I know, okay, if I'm my weight's starting to go up, I can, you know, reel it in a little bit. So people who weigh themselves, even though it seems like sort of a neurotic behavior, but um, people who weigh themselves tend to stay consistently the same weight or at least, you know, they have a better time achieving their goals. So, you know, it's about flexibility and it should be something that's easy, something you can maintain for your whole life. It should not be a quote-unquote diet. It should be a way of eating that you can attain, and it should be something like, you know, start out small. You should set up your environment to make things as easy as possible so you don't need to use willpower. You shouldn't be using willpower unless it's like, you know, a special occasion, and then you can use it because you haven't been exercising your will for the last, you know, three, four weeks, and then you go to a party and you're like, screw it, I'm just going to eat this whole cake, and then you go off the rails and eat, you know, everything else in sight. So if you save it up and you're not using willpower on a day-to-day basis, it'll work when you need it. So for me, you know, and I have a ton of, like, desserts and appetizers, things I bring to parties when I go, you know, that that is healthy. It's something I can eat that other people also like. Um, So just trying to make it easy. And then as you go, little by little, you'll incorporate new habits. And then as once the habit once it becomes a habit, it's easy, and you don't have to think about it anymore. It's the way it is, and it's like brushing your teeth. That's a really good point to bring up. I, I love how you were talking about going on vacation and gaining 20 pounds because um, I used to to go on vacations, and I'd eat everything inside. I'd drink you know, five times more than uh, I would ever have drank at home. And it's like, oh, I'm on vacation. I get to act differently, and I come back, and I'm paying the price for it. And the whole time I'm looking back, I'm like, you know, do I really even enjoy eating, you know, all of that food? Do I enjoy drinking all of that alcohol? Look at how it's made me feel now. And it really became, for me, this a mindset where I had to step in to sort of my own values and mission statement. Like, you know, part of me is wanting to be healthy throughout my entire life. And I stopped becoming willpower so much and started becoming just my purpose. You know, my purpose is to have a healthy, um, fit you know, body that can handle, you know, anything thrown at it. And part of that is not thinking, okay, well, I'm on vacation. Let's eat until my heart's content. <laughs> right. No, and I started even just thinking about, you know, the feeling when you eat something and really think about, okay, how did that food make me feel? Do I feel gross after I eat that? So then I kind of you develop that aversion to it. So you're like, I don't want to feel that way when I, you know, after eating, I'd rather eat something that's going to make me feel good. And that has helped me a lot too. You know, just being aware, you're not just sitting there shoveling food in your mouth, not thinking, you know, you need to sit and be conscious and eat your food and think about how it feels. Because if you're feeling sick after, that's usually enough to make you not want to eat it again. (laughs) 
not thinking about how good it tastes going down, but afterwards, how do you feel? Because I've stopped eating so much of that junk, and I just, you know, I look at junk food now, and I'm like, gosh, that's, that's going to give me a stomach ache. Like, that doesn't even sound good. But I have, you know, and I make, I do like desserts, and I like all that stuff, but I cook it at home, and I make the healthier version of it, and that is satisfying to me, and I don't feel bad after eating it. So that's, that's a nice, uh, you know, way to start looking at things. And it's a good way to start looking at things because there's so many different diets that that people, you know, their fad diets run amok, you know, whether it be paleo or Atkins or you know, there's just, there's so many. What is the basis, what is, what is the, you know, the, the basic structure of your nutrition strategy? Where do you fall in there? I know we've talked about ketogenics and I'm basically just segueing into that portion. When people yeah. look at your book and, and they look at your nutrition strategy, what is the what what is the the pattern? What what is it? What is the path that they're going to be following when they go and they read this book and they start following your recipes? So basically, my book it's all about flexibility, and I say this in in there. If you're paleo, if you're gluten free, if you're vegetarian, vegan, keto, whatever, you can still do this because this is basically teaching you about nutrition in general. So you can track your food and, and just see what your macronutrients are that you're taking in and then adjust from there. So, you know, all of my recipes are basically low calorie. So they're low carb and low fat. So they're very easily adaptable to anything that you might be trying to do within, you know, all the different types of diets you can try. And and some they most of them work because basically what they are is, you know, you're cutting your calories from something because most of them eliminate some type of food group. And when you do that, you're cutting calories. And some people struggle because their calories are too high. And a lot of, and I, so that I do think counting your calories, at least for a little portion of your life, to do that because it just gives you that knowledge of what is in what you're consuming. Because people don't realize, you know, if you're on a ketogenic diet, for example, and you're eating high fat, ketogenic diet is. Uh, 65 to 70% fat and then like moderate protein, so like 15% and then 5% carbohydrates. So fat is very high in calories, it's 9 calories per gram. So if you're eating a high fat diet and you're eating too much fat, you still might, even though you're on keto, which should help you lose a ton of weight, you might, your calories might be too high. So you still need to kind of track your food, at least initially, to use it as a tool to get a ballpark for where your maintenance calories are. And then if you want to um, gain weight or lose weight, it's easy to adjust because you can just take some of those calories down. Um, and it just makes you more aware and easier for you to estimate in the future if you don't. Because I don't track my food anymore, and I don't even do food prep anymore. I like to eat out. I do all that stuff. I teach people how to prep their food if they need to do that because some people work so much and they just don't even have time to get food on the table. I'm, I work from home mostly, so I don't have a problem cooking and I love cooking. So I cook all the time, but I, and I also don't like to have my meals, you know, in the freezer or the fridge for weeks on end, but you know, cause then you, you're reheating it. It's not my favorite, but I teach people how to do that if that's your only option. But on, you know, on my diet or even a ketogenic diet, a lot of these diets, it's easy to eat out. So I talk about things you can order if you want to go out. So it's just, it's very flexible and anything that is important to you if you're a vegetarian or, you know, and, and or you want to eat all organic or no GMO, whatever that is for you that you can sustain forever and is important to you, you can still incorporate 
that into my process because it's just basically I'm teaching people about nutrition, how to figure out how much food is appropriate for each individual. So basically it's like a nutritional textbook and a cookbook in the back. So I just want people to learn more. Well, and that's really important. You, you're, we've touched on a couple of times in this conversation about the tracking of your caloric intake, and I'm a huge fan of it. I don't, I'm like you. I don't have to do it all the time anymore. I can just look at what I'm, what I'm eating, and I know because I've spent months tracking calories. But I will say this, and when I've worked with my clients in the past on their nutrition strategy, it's one of the most difficult things to get people in a pattern of doing is actually putting everything into the app because when you first start out, None of the foods that you normally eat are, are in your frequency. They're, they're not listed for you, and it, it can be a little time-consuming at first. And so I teach them to write down, you know, like get 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 one of those little weight things, uh, one of those little gram things in your in your kitchen, and be able yeah. to um, be able to measure out every single thing that you're eating. Just write it on a little piece of paper to the left. Don't necessarily focus on it while you're cooking. Adding it into the fitness pal. And I've noticed it gets a little easier and better for them for them to be able to do that because it can be daunting when you first say, yes, you need to start putting everything you eat, even if it's M&Ms, into MyFitnessPal or whatever one they decide to use. So do you, whenever you're talking to your clients, do you, do you see a little pushback on that? Like, oh, do I really have to keep a food diary? Is this really something I need to do for the next two months? Yeah, it's difficult. It is not easy. I mean, it's definitely, this is, it's almost like, say, okay, we're going to enroll you in this course, and this is part of the curriculum. This is your, you know, this is your homework right here. It's tracking your food. And I do the exact same thing. I even say it in the book. You know, if I'm, you know, plating my food, you set your food on the scale, you zero it out after you put each ingredient, and I would write it on a piece of paper, and I would keep a notepad next to my scale because I didn't have time always to get in the phone and do the whole thing, and then I could always add it in later. And the more you do it, the more it becomes habit and the easier it gets. So you just have to kind of like suck it up and be consistent in the beginning and try. And you don't have to be perfect, but even just simply tracking your food, people who write their food down, even if you don't track it in the app, if you just write down your food, people eat less. That's what the studies have shown, that people just being aware of what's going in, that they, or even just maybe writing down a handful of M&Ms is not worth trying to figure out tracking so you're like well I'm just not going to eat them then because <laughs> I don't really feel like trying to figure it out but it helps because we're not just sitting there mindlessly eating and that's that's what becomes a problem because you don't even realize and so if you're eating you know maybe a handful of M&Ms well that's not filling up your stomach so you could eat a lot of handfuls of M&Ms before you feel full people will eat your stomach basically has a volume on it so they did a study where people went to a buffet and they put one buffet was a low-calorie buffet, and the other uh, side of the buffet was a high-calorie, like uh, high-calorie-dense food, so like higher-fat stuff. And they let the people loose on, you know, you people were half either on the high-calorie side or the low-calorie side, and people ate the exact same amount of volume. So they they ate so the people on the high-calorie side ate a ton more calories because they filled their stomach up to the same portion so the same volume which is interesting so eating which my book has a lot of it's high in fiber recipes that have you know a lot more vegetables and things like that so it's high volume so the you're eating low calorie food but it's going to fill you up which is important for society and then not going going crazy 
Oh, it is important. It's funny when we talked about, you just mentioned the buffet. I was recently in Vegas for a concert and I needed to eat before the show. And there was a buffet right outside the venue. And so I just go in there and you know, you walk into these buffets and there's just a plethora of food, every option available. And oh, because yeah. I, I know how my body reacts to eating too much rice or too many noodles, I really sought out the things that were going to give me the, the most amount of good fats and high protein knowing I wanted energy. I wanted to be able to dance for the concert. I did, and even though, yeah, it was $40 for the buffet, I didn't walk out of there thinking I need to eat $40 worth of food to make that worth it for me. I was like, this is all great food. I'm going to eat. This is going to be better portion size than if I just gone to a restaurant and ordered a plate of food, but I'm going to stay away from the things that I know are going to make me feel uh, fat and tired and, and, and just without energy. And that's where I, I worry sometimes about people's patience when they start to track their food and track their calories is, you know, are they being mindful of how they feel after they eat? And are they being patient enough to see the results? Because you can't, if you're 50 pounds overweight, yes, you can, you can do some of the changes in your book and, see drastic changes right off the bat, but let's say you're only 5, 10, 15, 20 pounds overweight, changes may not come as fast. And so whatever you're, what do you, what do you, how do you coach some people through the idea of practicing patience when changing nutrition strategies? Well, and you know, with, with this, because it's not extreme, my diet is very much not an extreme way to lose weight quickly. This is sort of like learning your body and learning how to roll with the punches and make adjustments. And, um, you know, a lot of clients, people will, they do get frustrated, but I think it's important to either have access to a coach, somebody you can talk to when you start to get stuck or you feel like, you know, because this is a very dieting or, you know, approach to dieting is very much a mental game. So it's very helpful. You know, I have clients, I talk to my clients, most of them, almost every single day. You know, they'll text me and I, you know, so I can give them a pat on the back or I can, you know, say, you know, let's, let's work on this part. Let's change this because, you know, I know you're struggling here. Let's make this a little easier. So along with the book, I, I developed um, a website that's, you know, a membership site so people can get on there. There's workout plans because there aren't workouts in this book, but there's workouts on the website that people can follow. And then they also have access to me, so people can send me updates and talk to me, you know, email or uh, ask questions on the site relating to articles and things like that so that we can have a dialogue. And I like to be able to be there for people. That's why I got into this whole thing, because I like the coaching aspect of it. And, you know, even the clients that I work with, it, it helps me stay motivated, too. So it's just great to have, like, a group of people that are all in this together. Yeah, I think building a community around what you're trying to do is really important for people. There's, you know, there's, hey, we can have negative influences from the community around us. Why not build a positive influential community around us and find people doing the same things that we are and, and be able to promote uh, each other and to pat each other on the back? Because there's a lot to be said about positive affirmations and you know, if that's not someone's love language, they might they might fight with that. You know, people can look at me and say, "Oh, wow, Jesse, you've lost 60 pounds since you quit drinking," or you know, you you whatever they might say. If I don't believe it, if I don't feel it in, on the inside, then I won't necessarily take that positive affirmation. And and I it could be genuine from the person giving it, but I may not necessarily be able to really absorb it and and feel the positive energy that I should from it. 
Um, and I feel yeah. like if people are working hard and they're in a good community, then they're all going to know that they're that they are working hard. And it's I, I don't like the word working when when it comes to the nutrition strategy portion because it should be just part of the play in, involved. Do you, so do you see when as you're building this community and everyone's you know giving each other positive affirmations? Do you see how that is beneficial to people and, and much? They start to they stick with it longer because at the beginning, as much as we don't want to call it a diet, it's, it is for a lot of people they're going to think of it that way. They are, and you know, with the flexible approach because it's, it is flexible. Like you know, you're allowed to eat a piece of pizza, you're allowed to have ice cream, you're allowed to have things, so you don't have to feel like you can't ever eat anything again or whatever. You know, so you we get together. My clients and I will get together usually because I have a lot of girls that are competing. So we do posing practices and things like that. And I invite everyone to come, even if they're not competing, because I, I just want us all to get together and we sit around and we just talk about, you know, the meals that we had or what somebody cooked that they loved and that, you know, they want to share with the group or, um, you know, how awesome everybody's doing. I mean, it's just, and then they leave there motivated. So then they're ready to face the week and, and do it, you know? So it does help so much and even just on social media or you know we'll text we have a group text so all the girls will chat and you know give each other high fives and pats on the back and um you know share things about what's going on or what's good in their lives and stuff so it just it really helps to keep people motivated and you know wanting to stay with it because if you're you don't want to feel that feeling of like well what's you know why am I doing this and you don't want to give up so it does help so much to have people that understand or if you're struggling with something and, you know, I've been through all of this stuff. So when people come to me saying, oh, I'm, you know, I really feel like I'm missing out on this or I'm, you know, struggling in this one area, you know, I've been there. So I can help people get out of it easily because I understand what they're going through at that moment because I've struggled in all these different aspects from this excessive dieting um, pattern that I used to have all the time from competing and I competed for 10 years so you know I had a lot of experience <laughs> struggling and, and that's the unfortunate aspect of our society is because food is so prevalent and it's so important in so many of our social norms that we fall into these bad habits and they're probably put into us at a young age as we watch adults and how they treat food and alcohol and everything else and now we've grown up and which just it's it's distorted, and getting people to change and see that, and 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 to realize that someone like you, who you know, people are going to look back at the fitness modeling and competing and say, wow, you know, that that is an amazing physique. She must have had it all down, and be able to learn from you and realize, no, I struggled too. That's got to be comforting for them to realize, okay, we're all going through this. Let's do it together. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I've come so far. I mean, I feel like I'm finally at a place where, you know, food doesn't come first anymore. I mean, I got in fights over, like, somebody taking too big of a bite of a piece of cake. Like, it was a big deal. So, you know, now <laughs> I'm more concerned. I, I had this, like, light bulb moment. We were out. We were in Napa, like a food mecca. And I remember we were hanging out with all these people that I really enjoyed spending time with and uh, we were trying to figure out where to go to dinner and I was like, I don't care. I just want to hang out with everybody. And I went, wow, I don't care. This is amazing. <laughs> so it was like I finally reached that point where food wasn't the most important thing to me. And that was just an amazing feeling like a huge weight lifted off. 
you, you bring up a really good point, and you may have just answered it, but I feel the need to ask the question anyways. What was that pivot moment for you where you clicked and you were able to just immediately about face and say, nope, I have a completely different look at this, and for the rest of my life, because of this moment, I will forever be changed? Yeah, I mean, I just, the, finally that focus came off of the food, and it was about the experience and about my time with people around me, and I just, it was like, it was like such a huge weight lifted off that I finally, I just didn't care. And I kind of feel that way now. It's like food isn't as important. And it's from that moment on, I, I literally, it was like a switch flipped. And I just, you know, the, I mean, I was so obsessed with food. I wrote a whole entire cookbook with a hundred recipes. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> at this point now I'm like, I just, you know, I, I make my basic stuff that I cook all the time. And a lot of the recipes in here are things I make, you know, every night, you know, once a week or something, you know, I make a lot of these a lot. And, you know, it's just, it's not as important to me. I have, I have more time to think about all the other things going on in my life. And I'm not obsessing over reading about food, looking at food on Instagram and creating recipes and tasting. I mean, I, I was eating so much when I was cooking for the book and it just, that was kind of tough to do because I had to taste everything. But, um, you know, it's just so nice to be, free of it, you know? Uh, very much so. I, I noticed that when I quit drinking, my relationship with food was one of the first things that I had to confront because all of a sudden, you know, now it's, okay, you know, when you drink, you tend to eat a little bit different. You know, you tend to, bar food all of a sudden sounds great and pizzas at midnight sound like a great idea. Yeah. And I looked at myself in the mirror and was like, okay, my drinking put me 60 pounds overweight. I should be, you know, in the 180s instead. I'm sitting at like 230. It's like, how am I going to change this? And it took me months of just playing with it and patience to finally get to a ketogenic diet. And I know that's something that you do. You do in your book promote non-restrictive dieting and nutrition strategy. You tell everyone, you eat what you want, get there. But where you got through all of this was going ketogenic and Unlike gluten-free and Atkins and paleo, I don't feel like many people understand what a ketogenic diet is. So let's, I would like to discuss that so people understand where you ultimately got in your nutrition strategy and why you feel like this is the way you'll be eating for the rest of your life. Yeah, so I, I switched over to a keto diet and probably in, I think it was July of this year, and I actually started it because I was – you know, certain people respond better to different things. So I was trying it for a few clients that were getting ready to compete, and we felt like, or I felt like, uh, this might be the thing that might help them. They might respond better to it. So I, I tried one client on it, and she was like, well, what am I supposed to eat? So I'm like, well, I don't know. Let me look into it. And I actually found out about ketogenic dieting. Uh, about three or four years ago, I went to Tampa for a, uh, like a nutritional seminar, and there was about 25 of us. Uh, invited, we went to the University of Florida, and we had a lecture with Dominic Diagostino, who's the leading researcher for ketogenic diets for cancer, which was, like, amazing, because it was such a small group of us, and he was telling us all about his research, and so I learned about it, and, you know, I thought at the time, because I was still just freshly coming out of competing, and I wasn't at the point where I wanted to give up anything at all, so I was like, I will never do that. And basically, you're eating very high fat, moderate protein, and low carb. So I was like, I'm not giving up bread. I can't do that. No way. But <laughs> I came home, and my dog had cancer, and she was already old, and we didn't want to go through, you know, putting her through, you know, all the surgeries and everything. And I thought, you know, she, 
she's going to be miserable. So I switched her to this ketogenic diet, and I was cooking my dog's food for, I had three dogs at the time. They were all small, so they were all eating basically bacon and, um, you know, like vitamins that I would mix in. And they loved the food. And my dog, who had three months to live, ended up living another year and a half. So, and she ended up, you know, she died at like 15 years old, which is an appropriate age for her, you know, breed. So, you know, I was very familiar with it, at least for my dogs, but they don't need a ton of variety. And um, I wanted to get my clients on on this diet. This was in, over the summer of this year. And I decided to try it for myself so that I could just experiment with it so I could start cooking that way and helping clients through the process. And I put my husband on it, too, because for him, he likes, you know, richer, fattier types of food. So for him, I thought this would be perfect. And he had weight to lose, so he was probably, I think he was 265 at his heaviest. I mean, I, I did not marry a bodybuilder. He's just like your average kind of guy. And he's lost 40 pounds since July doing the ketogenic diet. And even he from, you know, he doesn't really work out at all. Um, he doesn't, he's not into nutrition or food or whatever. He just, he works a lot. He's like, I stress job. And he basically even thinks, he's like, I could do this diet forever. It's just easy. And, you know, we can eat out. It's not a problem. Um, so I basically started as an experiment on myself. And I found that, you know, and I teach, I teach thin classes and I, I work out a lot. So for me, I was also doing it as an experiment on how I felt if I would have more endurance um, and feel better because I used to get hypoglycemic sometimes after I would teach my classes and, you know, I would get that almost every day. And I also have uh, Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid disorder. So um, I wanted to try this out to see if I would feel better, you know, cutting out, basically I'm cutting out gluten. It's very anti-inflammatory. It's good for cancer. It's good, good for your brain. Your brain functions better on ketones and glycogen anyway. And you have more fuel stored on your body because you tap into your stored body fat. So, you know, you can only store so much in glycogen, but when you don't have that glycogen and you're using your own body fat, uh, which turns into ketones as your fuel source, you can store uh, tons and tons of calories worth of energy. So a lot of athletes have been trying it out. And so being on it from July to now, you know, four, four months or so, I'm really starting to even feel more of the benefits now of being on it. And it's, it only gets easier and easier to do. So I, I know that some people struggle with it, at least in the beginning because they're not fully into ketosis yet, so you still crave the carbs and you still, uh, you know, want to be using that glucose as your fuel. But if you can get beyond that point, you know, you see all of these benefits. I feel full for a long period of time. I don't feel the need to eat. I don't crave the sugar anymore. Um, it just becomes, it takes that whole element of, like, craving that even if you're not hungry, you know, you don't have those cravings anymore. So that really dies down. So it just becomes a lot easier to stick to a plan because you're not even, you know, you're not just sitting there craving something all the time and using willpower to not eat it. Um, and I find that if you are a little bit creative in the kitchen, you know, I make cookies, I eat cookies for dessert every night. Um, and I'm, I'm good with that. I can, I can skip dessert at a restaurant because I know I can go home and have a cookie and I even bring them with me when I travel so I have something sweet because I still always need to have something. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I really, and I'm not as hungry. I don't get hypoglycemic anymore. Um, I think that my thyroid is getting better. I need to go get tested again, but I don't feel like 
sluggish and tired and my weight, um, I've lost a little bit of weight. I wasn't really trying to lose weight on this. It was more for performance, trying to see if I had more endurance during my class, which I do notice that I do. Um, and I'm going to start teaching more. So I was trying to get fully adapted before I start this new teaching, teaching job. So I'll be teaching a lot more classes per week. So, I mean, I think it's just great and it's an easy diet to follow. And I know it seems restrictive, but you get to eat so much delicious, rich food, like, you know, whole eggs, bacon, you can eat all the fattier fish, like salmon and stuff. Everything basically that you thought you couldn't have is allowed. <laughs> so it's just really refreshing. And you can make desserts and things like that, that, you know, you don't even miss the, you know, the real flour, or the carbs, you know, you can use almond meal, coconut flour and things like that. And, and you go by net carbs, so you would subtract the fiber uh, from your carbohydrate intake so you know I don't eat a lot of fruit but I eat a lot of vegetables so I get the volume there and I eat um, like fish or fattier cuts of meat and I usually only eat my two like two meals a day because I'm just not hungry and I know that you you've been doing it and uh, you feel the same way right I absolutely do I mean you brought so many amazing talking points I want to I want to circle back to a few of them because one that strikes me the most and we're going to discuss intermittent fasting a little bit later but I've noticed I try to get one of my friends he's an old workout buddy old roommate we used to host a show together so we have a really really great relationship when it comes to just being able to discuss so many different aspects of our lives and nutrition strategy comes up constantly and getting him over into ketosis and, and doing the ketogenic diet has been a struggle because he feels like if he's not eating he used to do paleo and crossfit with me all the time and he feels if he's not getting enough carbs, he feels sluggish. He's worried about not having the energy in the gym and things of that nature. And I tell him, I'm like, look, I've been doing a ketogenic diet now for about two or three months. And I've read enough about it to realize that the body, the brain especially, needs good fats. And if you can get yourself off of the carbs and get yourself over to the good fats, you'll have the strength you want at the gym. You'll have the energy throughout the day. Like, I don't really – and I don't know if I have any – sort of doctor or scientific backup for this, but I just don't feel like you really need to eat a plate of pasta the day before you go run a marathon so you'll have the energy for it. I really actually no. feel like it's, it's counterproductive to how your body is actually going to metabolize that food. Can you help back me up on any of that? Because I, I feel like I'm right. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That's why I, I actually try, I'm trying to get myself adapted to this diet because I was going to be doing a lot more endurance training and I needed to be able to function. You know, I used to do my classes when I was eating more, um, you know, higher carb, uh, moderate fat, and uh, high protein. I I would hit the wall. Like, I would do my class, and I was like, okay, I can't. And I teach you, like, really high-intensity um, spin class, like high-intensity interval training. And, and I was, like, done for the rest of the day. Like, I couldn't do anything, and my brain didn't work. And I, I knew, I'm like, I can't be teaching more classes and have this feeling all the time I won't be able to do anything so I ended up uh, switching to this diet and I don't get that feeling anymore which is so nice so you know and I and a lot of endurance athletes like marathon runners and that kind of thing are switching over so because you can use the stored fat on your body so you have like you know unlimited amount of calories to use from I mean if you're really 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 lean you don't have as much to store but somebody who's overweight has you know hundreds of thousands of calories stored on their body at any given point um and you know it's also become 
something that they've looked into for caring and treating so many diseases. It's the standard of care for um, children with epilepsy, for neurological disorders. It's good for Alzheimer's, cancer, um, inflammatory diseases. Um, so even my mom, like both my parents are on it. My dad had diabetes. It basically, you know, it can basically cure diabetes because you're not eating any uh, sugar. So you don't need, you know, it, it, it regulates everything. So, um, you know, my dad was on insulin and everything. He's off of all of his medicine now. Um, so, I mean, if you just look at it even just from a health perspective, the problem is if, you know, you really can't, it's hard to cheat on this diet because when you eat uh, the carbohydrates, then you have to get yourself back into ketosis. And that feeling when you don't have enough glycogen for your body to use as fuel, you don't feel good. And so you're you're making yourself not feel good for a period of time while you're getting back to being fat adapted. Um, there are a few like supplements you can take. I know we talked about it before. Um, berberine, it helps lower your blood sugar. So uh, when blood sugar and insulin is low, your ketone levels are higher. So if you can keep your blood sugar lower uh, by taking certain supplements like cinnamon or berberine, if you can take um, like comes in a capsule form and you can take 500 milligrams per like three times per day if you're going to be, you know, going on vacation or something and eating something you're not, um, or if you think you had something with too many carbs, like I just usually keep it if I think I overate. Even protein can um, convert into glycogen and be stored, so you can't eat too much protein either. So people that are struggling, I say, okay, let's look at your carb intake, and usually that's not the problem because they're watching their carbs so strictly to make sure that they don't, you know, eat too many and not get into ketosis. But the problem could be that they're eating too much protein, and if they're not losing weight, it could be just that their calories in general are too high. Um, and it's good to also cycle your calories. So, you know, having a higher calorie day or a lower calorie day or trying the intermittent fasting as an approach just to keeping your calories lower um, and especially with the high-fat diet, you feel full for a long time. So um, intermittent fasting is pretty easy. I usually I don't eat anything until about two o'clock, and then from like two to ten, that's my eating window. So and, and I'm not hungry in that time, so it just works for me. And I have basically a big lunch and a big dinner, and then I eat a couple cookies, and then I go to bed. And that's you know, and I feel full. I feel very full in between my meals that I'm eating, so I'm not even hungry to even snack or anything in those in that time frame, which is just nice because it frees me up to do other things. You know, I can be more productive that way. And that's what I've, I've noticed whenever I got into intermittent fasting about four years ago when I got into CrossFit and the paleo dieting is that all of a sudden I didn't have to worry about waking up and like, okay, immediately, you know, what is it? am I having a protein shake? Am I doing oatmeal, fruit? And, of course, now I know so many of those, those three items I just mentioned are not great for you right when you wake up. My problem was I was trying to follow the old standard idea of gaining muscle. So it was one gram, you know, 0.75 to one gram of protein per, uh, like, pound, body pound. So I was trying to get yeah. anywhere between 150 and 200 grams of protein a day. And it was exhausting, Alyssa. I cannot even, I mean, you know, you used to eat like this. I mean, you know, you're waking up and you're like, okay, how many grams of protein can I eat for breakfast so that I, when I, I don't get to dinner and need to eat 125 and somehow I'm eating a 10 ounce steak for dinner and then I'm having a protein shake before I go to bed just to get to 180 grams of protein a day and now because of what I've learned about ketosis I mean I'm down to maybe 40 grams of 
of animal proteins a day and some days I'll go vegetarian and so it's just like uh like a organic vegetarian protein shake and I noticed that the body work it, it, I I noticed that my energy level throughout the days is absolutely fantastic I still hit the gym I'm still seeing amazing gains and that was something I brought up to you last time we talked is for people you know, cuz they're going to they're they're going to see you they're going to know your background be like great this woman's diet the nutrition strategy see my, my brain still inherently wants to call it a diet this yeah. she's going to know how to help me gain muscle and that was one of the first things i asked you is if somebody like yes i'm losing weight because i desperately want to get rid of that little pudge around the middle but i also still want to be able to gain muscle and then they're going to say well you know she's on a ketogenic diet i'm not supposed to be eating 180 grams of protein and this is baby only hit 80 grams of protein a day how am i still going to gain muscle and that's right. always the what I've tried to encourage, talk to them, and I don't even know how to answer the question. They're like, Jesse, how am I going to gain muscle if I'm only eating 80 grams of protein a day, but yet I'm eating 1,200 calories and good fat today? Right. So, you know, on a ketogenic diet, it is possible to gain muscle. Um, basically, you know, people will lose a lot of water weight initially, and they think, you know, it could be muscle, it could be fat. But usually it's water because you're, you store all the water with the glycogen in your muscle cells. So after about a week or two and once you're in ketosis, everything will level out. So you may even gain a little bit of weight coming back in. But ketogenic dieting is naturally muscle sparing. So you don't need to, when you're in ketosis, you don't use your muscle as a fuel source. So you should be able to maintain the muscle that you have. And then training, when you train, you can still, you know, have your protein around the meal for muscle protein synthesis or around the training, I mean. And you know, you want to periodize the training. The training can is, is important. You want to create uh, muscle damage so that the muscle will uh, adapt to that that strain and, and grow. So having enough calories to grow, you know, you want to eat. You know, I still like to cycle the calories, so I wouldn't eat in a surplus of calories every day because then you lose um, insulin sensitivity, which then makes you store more body fat. So, um you know, if you cycle the calories, periodize your training. So you're doing, you know, I basically, what I do is I start out with a lower volume week and then I increase the volume each week until you're basically overreaching, um, working out to the point where it's very difficult. And then you back off, have like a deload week and then start a, start over again. So you're constantly creating a muscle stimulus and then backing off and starting over because you can't just go all out right from the get-go you need to build up to something you have to have room to move that's with your diet and that's with training it's the same so even like if you're trying to lose weight you wouldn't go automatically to a thousand calories a day you know you want to start if you're losing weight on 1800 calories stay there for a little while until you get stuck then drop it down again stay there and drop it down again same thing with um building muscle you know if you want to create a surplus of calories which i teach people how to do that in the book so basically, with the book, you are given the tools to figure everything out for yourself. You're basically learning everything that I know so that you can make these decisions and make an educated decision on, on how to approach whatever goal you're trying to achieve. So if you're trying to gain muscle, you would eat in a surplus maybe a few days a week and then have a load day. So you can maintain you know, at least a decent body fat. So you don't want to gain a ton of body fat, obviously, in the process. But ketogenic dieting seems to me like a great way to maintain maintain muscle. You can build muscle if you have a surplus and eat an adequate amount of protein. So I think it's like 
5.8 maybe. I mean, I for my weight, I'm 135. I eat like 90 grams of protein um, per day. I have like two larger meals. So and then my dessert thing. So it's about 90 grams. Uh, so it's not excessive. I used to eat, you know, 150, 160, 170 sometimes. Um, so, and if you're on a higher, higher carb diet, though, you do need the extra protein because you're not in that muscle sparing mode that keto has to offer. Now, about five or 10 years ago, I, re- I remember looking around the gym and noticing that the men were always where the weights were and the women we're always where the cardio equipment was. And, and I've noticed over, and I live, again, I live in Los Angeles, California, I live in Hollywood. You live in San Diego. I feel like trends tend to start here and then move outward. At what point, because now I see women in the, in the weight area all the time, and I've known for years that the best way to be fit isn't to just stay on a cardio machine for two hours. It's to get over there and, and start building muscle. And, and I hear the women, oh, I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to get manly and I'm using air quotes and I'm like you know how long it takes you to build muscle to get to that point like I work oh, yeah. out five days a week and I don't look humongous like I, I don't think people quite understand the journey your body has to go on to to really get to where you were back when you were doing competitions so where do you think that the switch came like what happened in society because now I see women at the weights all the time and again I get it it's Hollywood and we're all we got our finger on the pulse of of what's healthy and nutritious but i'm sure it's happening other places too but women are starting to realize i can go and work out on weights and it's not going to make me bulky and manly it's actually way healthier than being on an elliptical for an hour and a half right right and even the cardio now cardio has sort of evolved you know high intensity interval training is kind of like where it's at right now so people even if you're going to do cardio it, it should be short You know, you don't want to do this long, drawn-out cardio session. Um, I think everything sort of changed with CrossFit, you know, people doing these major weightlifting things, and these women look great. And then, you know, also just the the, uh, addition of the bikini division, which is a much more attainable physique that is very feminine-looking still. So I think a lot of women, you know, I have so many clients, like, from all – all age ranges, you know, I have women in their 60s doing bikini competitions. I mean, it's not like a sexy bikini contest, but it's like a sport, you know, something that they're trying to achieve, you know, get in great shape and, and look amazing. So that sort of, I think, has opened up a lot. And then just even like the fitness magazines and even, um, you know, a lot of actresses and models now have a more fit-looking physique. They don't look just emaciated and skinny like the models used to when I was young. You know, yeah, it's it's great to see the change that's happening in society where people are starting to really, and, and maybe it's just the amount of information coming out. Some remember trying to work out in the '90s and the early 2000s, and I wasn't aware that of, of how many grams of protein I should have and, and, and what carbs I should be doing. And you know, I think Atkins was really big at the beginning of the 2000s, and there wasn't a whole lot of deviation from that. And people were sitting there eating three hamburger patties with cheese and thinking because they dropped yeah. the bun, you know. And the women would just be even would just be doing the cardio equipment, and the guys would be over there put, lift, trying to lift way heavier weights than their body was prepared for, and thinking that they needed to get to 10 reps every single time, and so doing reverse pyramid. And so there's so much amazing information out there. How difficult have you noticed it for people? to sift through the garbage because there's a lot of popular magazines out there that I feel like are just 
putting fancy words on the cover wanting you to buy the magazine. They're not really giving you any kind of long-term solutions. It's more of, this is popular now. Eight minutes to perfect ad. That is not possible. Right. <laughs> no, no. Eight and minutes you know, to perfect ads is not possible. <laughs> right. And they're trying to sell magazines, so they try to pick something that's like, you know, you know, eye-catching. And, you know, we'll make somebody pick it up and read it. You know, most, every, you know, we have so much social media stuff now. Magazines are kind of struggling. I know I think they're kind of a dying, dying breed. But, um, you know, magazine editors, you know, fitness models, for example, in the fitness industry, most fitness models do not get paid to do magazine articles or features and things like that. You basically, everybody's willing to do it for free. So you pitch the magazine, and I get a lot of people actually approaching me because they want to be fitness models, and I'm like, okay, fitness model is not really a career. <laughs> it's kind of a hobby, and you need to have something else that will support, uh, basically, you're using the fitness magazine, if you're in one, as an advertisement for yourself to promote your brand, whatever it is that you're trying to promote. So you need to have something that you can make tangible for you. So you know, just wanting to be a fitness model, you're never going to make any money. It's a hobby. Um, I forgot where we were going with this. <laughs> uh, we're, well, we were talking about um, eight-minute abs and magazines. Oh, and just yeah. the people not People not – there was just – there's so much information. How do they sift through it? Yeah, no, you've got to weed through. But there's, there's a lot of – there's even just a lot of people out there who just, you know, are just working out in the gym like these fitness models just trying to, you know, make a name for themselves. And some have a lot of good information and some don't. You know, there's a lot of, especially in the competition world, there's a lot of people telling people to do all this really weird stuff that's very, um, you know, like old school bodybuilder tricks that aren't actually based in science and things like that. So I think it's important to uh, look for, you know, people who are actually in the scientific community um, there's a book actually that I just uh, that just came out. It's called the Ketogenic Bible, and there's a couple doctors who who do research, and they wrote the book, and it has some recipes in there too. And I think that's a great resource, and they have a lot of good um, articles on training and nutrition and things like that. But there's a lot of now doctors that are actually studying fitness and nutrition and how like building muscle and things like that in more of you know, if you look at doctors who are doing, like, clinical nutrition, it's very different from the fitness world. So there's now a lot of cutting-edge research on, you know, supplements, training, um, diets, and approach to building muscle and things like that. So I think you have to be careful where your sources are coming from. Um, don't just, you know, look at the Facebook ads and pull up, you know, the the bodybuilder guy who's showing you how to do all this stuff. I mean, I know that's kind of like where I'm at, but, um, you know, you just, you have to be careful about who you're listening to because there's a lot of bad information out there too. You know, I, you just said this, you know, it's, you don't just pull up the bodybuilder guy and you're like, that's sort of what I do, but it's really not because yeah. you've got so many years of experience with this. You know, you've done your own scientific studies on yourself and you mentioned the ketogenic Bible and, a book that radically changed my nutrition strategy was Dr. Stephen Gundry's The Plant Paradox. And he's, uh, he's one of these scientific nutrition studiers. And he says, you know, cutting back on the protein, definitely cutting out carbs, eating a higher fat diet. If, if, if you mentioned it earlier, it, it helps with Alzheimer's. It helps with diabetes. I mean, all of these radical changes. 
And so I think for people, what they need to understand is that there's no one book that's going to give them all the answers. Get the ketogenic Bible. Get your book. Get the Stephen Gundry book. Get all of them and read through them and actually write down, okay, what is it that I'm trying to start to do here? Because fitness does start in the kitchen. Everyone who's ever paid attention to fitness knows that what you do in the gym is 20, 30% of it, and what you're doing in the kitchen is a huge huge portion of how everything's going to play out. Exactly. You know, you're so interesting. My show's called Everything's Interesting, and we're going to get you out of here on this. Uh, it's When I first met you, I was just so excited to, to hear someone talk about nutrition strategy the way you did and, and how that works and with your fitness and, and, and having the normal life and still being able to stay so fit. And since the show's called Everything's Interesting, I have, I have a, a couple questions I'd like to, to finish up on is, as you started to change who you used to be and how you used to eat and, and, and how you used to treat your body to how you do now, what was the most interesting thing that came out of your studies and your experiments on yourself that you're sitting at today? If somebody would say, what, what is the most interesting thing you learned from all of this? Um, well, basically now, you know, I feel like food isn't as important to me, even though I've basically focused my whole career around nutrition and, and cooking and eating you know, now food has dropped down on my list of priorities. You know, it's not as important. It's not the first thing. I mean, I always used to joke, like, if I was on the airplane and it was going down, I would look for any food that was on the plane because <laughs> I would just start <laughs> eating it. <laughs> you know, and at and this point now, it's like family is more important. You know, I spend more time studying. I spend more time working. I just feel like it has it has freed up so much time for me to not have food be such a huge issue and if I can help people get to that place because then it's not a diet it just becomes easy and it's a way of living um, you know to help guide people to get to that place because it's such a great place to be you may have already answered it with what you just said but uh, I'll ask the last question anyways imagine you're a keynote speaker to the world and you're on stage everyone has the opportunity to hear the answer to this question your message what what would that one message you'd want people to take away from who you are and the knowledge you've gained throughout your entire life dealing with nutri nutrition and the body dysmorphia when you're a child and, and, and all of the things that you've gone through to get to where you're at today? What would be that one message you'd want everyone to hear from you? Well, I think people, it's very important to focus on happiness, you know, I mean, you can be any size, any dress size, any, any clothing size and be happy, you know, so if you, if you disassociate, you know, how you look with your mental feelings about yourself and how you, how you feel other people see you, because people will love you no matter what size you are, so who cares, you know, it's important to be happy, and you don't want to give up everything, you know, fun, a lot of people go on a diet, and they say, well, I can't do this anymore, I can't go to that party, because I can't eat this, no, you can't, you know, and I, my husband and I, when I was dieting for all these shows, we struggled a lot, you know, with our relationship. And now, you know, that I've developed more of this flexible approach, I feel like I can do everything again. We, our relationship is a thousand times better than it ever was. And we're both happier. And, you know, I don't agonize over what I look like because who really cares, you know? So it's about finding something that makes you happy being free from, you know, the whole food has over you and dieting and all of that. So, you know, as long as you're healthy, taking care of yourself, you know, find 
find an exercise routine that's something you enjoy. Maybe you don't like going and lifting weights in the gym. A lot of people don't. Or if you don't like going and suffering through a spin class, find something you like to do, you know. I love boxing. I go to this boxing class. It's so much fun. And I've, I've actually, you know, I lift weights less than I used to because I love boxing so much. So, you know, just find something that makes you happy. I leave the gym and I'm in such a good mood. It changes my whole perspective. I could go there wanting to cry and I come out of there with a smile on my face. So find something that enriches your life, whether it's, you know, a type of eating or type of workout that you like to do, you know, focus on your family, do fun things. So just, it's all about happiness. That's, that's awesome. I would, I just want to take this opportunity at the end of our conversation to honor you for all the hard work you've put into this book for spreading such a positive message to your readers and those out there that have been able to find you. I can only hope that more people get a hold of you because you just have such a positive viewpoint on how people should be treating their bodies and their minds and their self-esteem. It's just to take that opportunity to thank you so much for putting out a book like this and just being such a positive uh, messenger of what people can do and how important it is to take control of one's life through your nutrition strategy. Oh, thank you. Yes, this has been amazing. So I would like to thank you so much for being on Everything's Interesting. This has been a, a wonderful hour we have spent together, Alyssa. I, I'm so glad we had this opportunity. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I know I figure I feel like we could just talk forever about so many things. <laughs> we could. We could. We could turn this into a series. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're definitely, I would definitely love to have you back on the show in the future. It's going to be great to see how the community takes on your book and starts to incorporate this and, and just how to watch you be able to grow. And we're both almost at the same point with the ketogenic dieting and, and the strategy. And it's going to be really great to see how we can just notice how over the years this affects us and how much better our lives are because of it. Yeah, no, it's super it's just super interesting and um I'm excited that we're on the same page. <laughs> it's yeah. nice to have somebody to talk to about it all. <laughs> it is, and I know my viewers and listeners out there are gonna love all the information. So it's it's been wonderful. Just thank you again for being on the show. It's a it's a great a great conversation from a great person. Ah, uh, thank you. Yeah.